the love that Jesus has for you and me and for all people is, is beyond comprehension. Uh, but this morning, I hope that we're able to scratch just the surface of his love a little bit so that we can understand a little bit more about how long, how wide, how deep the love that Jesus has for you. Not just in general, but for you. And to do that, we're going to look at how Jesus humbly submitted to God. When you think of submit or submission, what do you think of? For me, I think of wrestling or UFC or something like that where one opponent uh, forces the other opponent to submit. Literally forces the other person to submit because he's conquered them. And so it's not a willing thing. The opponent submits because he has no other choice but to submit. And when you think of submit that way, and if that's the way you think about it, it's, a really, it's kind of a negative thing, isn't it? Uh, you think of the government making us submit to it. As a parent, you can think of your children submitting to you at times because you force them to submit to you. Uh, you're the authority, you're the parent, and they're the kid, and they're going to sum- submit to you because you're the parent. Again, if this is the way you think about submit and submission, it's a very negative thing. But when the Bible talks about submission, this isn't the type of submission it's talking about. It's not by force. It's a a willing yielding. It's, I'm going to choose to submit myself to you. To put my wants, my desires, what I want under you. And when this is carried out, it's actually a very beautiful thing. For instance, a husband comes home from working all day. Wife is at home with kids. He comes walking in. He can tell that there's a lot going on, that uh, the kids, he can tell from the minute he walks in that the kids have not been good that day. And so what does he do? He comes in and says, honey, how can I help? Let me do the dishes for you. Let me do this. Let me do that. Instead of going and sitting on the couch and relaxing, he humbly submits, yields, and willingly puts himself under his wife. When your kids, when you want to watch Infinity War and your kids want to watch Toy Story for the 60th time, Uh, and you willingly yield and you watch Toy Story for the 60th time, uh, that's you willingly yielding to your kids. You're putting your kids' wants, desires, and needs above your own. And when this is carried out, it's actually a beautiful thing. And it's no wonder that Paul in Ephesians chapter 5 says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. If everyone in our relationships are submitting to one another... It's a very beautiful thing. And it's true with our relationship with God as well. We can submit to God and it can be one of two ways. Either we view God as someone who forces us to submit to Him, or we submit to God willingly, knowingly and trustingly, knowing and trusting that He has our best interest at heart. But if we're honest, that's where we struggle, right? Does God have our best interest at heart? Today we're going to see just how much Jesus loves you and me and all people as He willingly and humbly submits to God. And it takes place in the Garden of Gethsemane. We're in Luke chapter 22, and I'll give you context as we go along. So let's just go ahead and jump right in. Luke chapter 22, verse 39. 
Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, Pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he rose from prayer and went back to the disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping? He asked them. Get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Okay, so this is the night before Jesus dies, Maundy Thursday. Uh, They are going out to the Mount of Olives. Here's uh, a map for you. So they'd already been in Jerusalem. Here, this black outline is the city walls. And they were in a house somewhere in in Jerusalem here. Uh, And that's where they celebrated the Passover. That's where Jesus washed his disciples' feet. That's where he instituted the Lord's Supper. Uh, And after that, they headed out. They they crossed the Kidron Valley into the Garden of Gethsemane on the Mount of Olives. And as Luke tells us, this is the usual place Jesus went. He went out as usual. This is a common place for Jesus. He went to this garden to pray many times and to spend time in prayer. And here... Jesus leaves his disciples at the entrance to the garden and he goes a a little ways away and he falls down and he prays. Father, if it's your will, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. What does Jesus know is about to happen? Jesus knows that within an hour, the guards are going to be there to arrest him. He knows that The mocking is coming. He knows that the beatings, the whippings, the crown of thorns, he knows that the the nails between his hands and feet are about to come. And he prays, Father, if there's any other way, let that be. Not my will, but yours be done. Now when we pray, and we're in anguish, and, and, and we're filled with anxiety, what do we expect to happen? We expect our situation to change, right? We expect God to hear our prayers and to answer our prayers. And did you notice how God answered the prayer? An an- right here. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. Great, right? But then it actually gets worse for Jesus. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. After this angel strengthens Jesus, it's like the heat turns up. And he's in more anguish. He's more tense. He has more pressure on his body that he actually starts to sweat and then sweat like drops of blood falling to the ground. Jesus is under so much pressure that that he's not only sweating, but, but blood vessels in his face pop and little drops of blood come falling out with, mixed with his sweat to the ground. That's the amount of pressure that Jesus is under. That's the amount of anguish that he's in. But why? Hasn't Jesus known this day is coming? Yes. Doesn't he know that he's going to die? Hasn't he known this all along? Yes. Haven't other Christians 
who have faced execution gone more peacefully than this? Yes. So why is Jesus in so much anguish about, uh, about what's going to happen? Is crucifixion brutal? Absolutely. But there's something even more going on here. And to understand, we need to focus on the cup that Jesus is talking about. And so let's look at what the cup actually means. The cup that Jesus is asking to pass from him, we're going to look at, at the Old Testament and see what it means. And to do so, we're going to first start in Ezekiel chapter 23. Ezekiel was a prophet sent to Jerusalem uh, a couple hundred years before Jesus was born. The, Israel, the kingdom of Israel, the northern tribes, had already been wiped out by the Assyrians uh, because of their lewdness, God says. And the Jerusalem, the people of Judah, are going along the same path. And so God sends Ezekiel to them and, and prophesies to them, you're on the same path. And God uses a brilliant illustration here. He, he talks about two sisters, one being Israel, one being Judah, and how they both act uh, not good. They're full of lewdness, they're full of immoral acts. And the Israelites, the kingdom of Israel, has already been punished. And Jerusalem's about to take the same punishment. And here's what God says that punishment is. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. You will drink your sister's cup, a cup large and deep. It will bring scorn and derision, for it holds so much. You will be filled with drunkenness and sorrow, the cup of ruin and desolation, the cup of your sister Samaria. You will drink it and drain it dry and chew on its pieces, and you will tear your breasts. I have spoken, declares the Lord. So there, what's the cup? The cup that Israel drank was the cup of really God's wrath, right? It brings scorn and derision. Uh, it's, you'll be filled with drunkenness and sorrow, the cup of ruin and desolation. A couple hundred years before that, Isaiah, 700 B.C., also talks about the cup. In Isaiah 51, here's what he says. Awake, awake, rise up, Jerusalem, you who have drunk from the hand of the Lord the cup of His wrath, you who have drained, it to, drained to its dregs the goblet that makes people stagger. We could continue looking at Verses after verses. We could look at all of Jeremiah. We could look at Habakkuk. We could look at Obadiah. But every time the cup of the Lord is mentioned, it's the cup of God's wrath that causes people to stagger, that causes people to get drunk from the Lord's hand and filled with sorrow and derision. And it brings ruin and destruction. You see, God is a, whole, or God is a, a loving and compassionate God who forgives. But God is also a holy and just God that can't let sins go unpunished. And so what's the punishment for sin? It's the cup of God's wrath. This cup of execution that God makes you drink. It's like God sits on His, on his throne, on His judgment seat, and says, here's what you deserve as penalty for your sin. I decree you deserve the cup of God's wrath for your sin. And so it's no wonder that every time the Old Testament talks about the cup of God's wrath, it's always against God's enemies, those who reject God, those who don't want anything to do with God. God says, okay, then your punishment is the cup of my wrath. It's always against God's enemies, except for this time. This time, 
It's the holy, perfect Son of God, Jesus, that God presents the cup of His wrath to. This is the Almighty God, the Omnipotent God, who has all power. What must that cup of wrath be like? Not just for one person's sins, but the sins of the entire world. What do you think omnipotence weighs? We could measure God's love. We can't measure God's love. Nor can we measure the cup of wrath. But this is why Jesus is in so much anguish. He enters the garden that night and He staggers and He falls. Why? Because God, it's like God has placed the cup of wrath under His nose and He can now see it. He can smell it. And it's even worse than He ever thought it would be. When I was in college, uh, I was 22 years old and I had to have my tonsils out. I was having tonsillitis every six weeks. For eight months, uh, I had tonsillitis every six weeks. I had it six times in eight months. And every time, my fever got higher and higher. Uh, And so I went in to get my tonsils out, and they told me, hey, just so you know, you're going to be in a lot of pain after the surgery. I said, I don't care. I I just want tonsillitis to be done with. Uh, And then I got out of surgery, and if I would have known how much pain that was, uh, I probably would have lived with tonsillitis. It was awful. Uh, Not only did my throat hurt, my tongue got swollen because they clamped down the tongue and, and ripped a part of my skin off on my tongue. Then the medication they put me on, uh, I broke out in hives and I was allergic to. So it was just a brutal experience. And if I would have known it was going to be that bad, I would have just lived with tonsillitis and said every six weeks I'll go in and get medication and be done with it. In the same way to a much greater degree, Jesus has known this day is coming. But now it's here. And it's even worse than he could imagine. God places the cup of wrath under Jesus' nose and says, Jesus, here it is. This is the cup of my wrath. This is the hell that you are going to experience. This is the fire you are going to go through. And you have to drink it all. Do you love me enough to drink it? Do you love people enough to drink it? Because it's either you or them. And Jesus says, Father, if there's any other way, take this cup from me. You're not my will, but yours be done. And what was God's will? Isaiah 53, It was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. The Lord says, No. This is how it has to be. And what's Jesus' response? Your will be done. And he gets up and he goes back to his disciples. Your will be done. Here's your first point today. Your will be done isn't just words, but an attitude. And isn't that what we see from Jesus? Jesus says, your will be done, and it's not just words that he says, it's an attitude that he has. His heart is all in, his mind is all in, and he trusts the Lord uh, and the Lord's will for him. He trusts it. And he gets up and he goes. He doesn't get angry at God. He doesn't look at God and say, how could you possibly do this to me? He doesn't look at God and say, you're unfair. He doesn't look at God and say, you're mean and, and you're an angry God. No, 
He says, your will be done. And I mentioned this at the beginning of the service or sermon, but this is where we struggle, isn't it? We say, your will be done, every Sunday as we say the Lord's Prayer. Sometimes we say, your will be done, when we pray and we ask requests, right? When we ask for healing, your will be done. And we say those, but it, it, we say those words, but how often aren't they just merely words and our attitude isn't behind it? Because what do we really mean when we say your will be done? We say your will be done, but oftentimes we mean, God, bend your will to fit my will. I really want my will to be done, God, and so I'm being nice and it's like a formality. Oh, but your will be done, God. But really bend your will to mine so that I get out of this suffering, so that I can be healed, so that I can go on with life and be happy. We say your will be done until God asks us to do something we don't want to do. Submit to the government, but I don't like their law. I think that law is dumb. So I'm not going to submit to the, submit to the government. Submit to one another? Well, I'll submit to them if they lovingly submit to me first. Submit to teachers? Submit to parents? Uh, I don't know about that. Only if they're treating me fairly. Only if I agree with what they want me to do. God says, love one another. And I I will love, and I will submit to you, and I'll submit to them, uh, as long as they don't do anything that hurts me. As long as they don't do anything that I don't like. And sometimes what we do is, sometimes we end up submitting... But it's by force. We're not willingly doing it. We, we go through the motions of submitting. We go through it all, but our hearts and our minds aren't in it. And that's what's so incredible about Jesus' love here. Jesus submits to God's will, even when it comes to drinking the cup of God's wrath. Even when it comes to drinking hell, Jesus says, Your will be done. His heart and His head, His will, His body, everything is in your will be done. It's incredible love that Jesus has. (coughs) Scriptures don't say it, but I'm sure that the devil was there. Uh, We looked a couple weeks ago at Jesus' temptation uh, where the devil was tempting Jesus. And do you remember how that ended? It said, the devil left until an opportune time. And what better opportune time than with Jesus having the cup of God's wrath right under His nose. And I'm sure there was Satan pointing at the disciples saying, Jesus, you're really going to drink the cup of wrath for them? Look, they can't even stay awake and pray with you. They can't even stay awake and support you right now. You need them. And they're sleeping on you. You don't have to drink the cup of that wrath, of God's wrath. Just pass it along. But that's what's so incredible about the love of Jesus, right? The love of Jesus says, I will drink this cup. You see, from that point forward, from this moment on, everything that happens to Jesus happens to Him. It's passive. Jesus gets arrested. He gets beaten. He gets the crown of thorns. He gets mocked. He gets the nails through His hands and feet. It's passive. It's done to Him. Here in the garden, Jesus actively chooses you. He chooses you. 
God says, here is the cup. Take it. And Jesus says, I will. It's an active choice by Jesus to love you. And when Jesus does, when He says, your will be done, here's what happens. Paul says in in 2 Corinthians 5, God made Him, that is Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. What did God do? What did Jesus do? When Jesus said, I will drink the cup, Jesus says, I'm taking responsibility for every single sin that you committed. Every single sin that the world has ever done. I'm taking responsibility for it. And God says, okay, here you go. This is what you deserve for it. And Jesus says, I will drink it. Why? So that in Jesus, you and I might become the righteousness of God. This is how long, how deep, how wide the love of Jesus is for you. That He says, I will become your sin. I will drink the cup of God's wrath for you so that you can become holy, righteous, and perfect in God's sight. You talk about love. This is humble submission by Jesus. And He humbly yields His will to you and to God. And through it, you become righteous in God's sight. This is what Jesus' humble submission does. And now, His humble submission changes our lives. Here's how. Jesus' submission allows you to trustfully submit to God. Jesus humbly submits to God. He humbly submits to Him. And now it changes our lives in two ways. Two ways we get to trust God. One, when God asks us to do something we can trustfully submit to Him. Because we know that it's coming from a heart of love from God. God doesn't tell us to do something or ask us to do something in His Word that isn't motivated by love. And because of what Jesus did, we now know that. Jesus drank the cup of God's God's wrath. His wrath is taken from us and it's been replaced with love. And so we can trust God and submit to Him. It also changes the way that we view suffering and crisis in our life. Now, we don't look at God as, as a punisher because our punishment has been taken out on Jesus. The wrath of God is gone from us. And again, it's been replaced with His love. And so no longer when we're in those moments of suffering and crisis, we don't look at God as a punisher. We look at God as a Savior who, who saves us from these situations. And we know it because Jesus took the cup of God's wrath. He rose from the tomb And because of that, we know that God is on our side through everything. Bad things are going to happen because we live in a sinful world filled with bad things. But God isn't the punisher anymore to us. Jesus took our punishment. Now, He is our Savior God. And so we cling to Him through crisis and through suffering. All of this is because of Jesus' humble submission. His humble submission that yielded to God's will yielded to us. And because of Him, we can humbly and trustfully submit to God in all things, knowing that He has our best interest at heart. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we praise and thank You that You humbly submitted to God, uh, not as an example for us, uh, but on our behalf. Through Your submission, uh, our sins have been taken away. The cup of God's wrath has been removed from us. Uh, hell has been removed from us and now it's been replaced with love, 
forgiveness, and life eternal. We thank you so much for your love, and we ask that you help us to uh, trustfully submit to God because we know that He has our best interests at heart. We know that you are by our Father's side advocating for us and and, uh, speaking to Him on our behalf, and we trust you and we trust Him because you are our Savior God. Be with us today and this week as we humbly submit to God in all things. Amen.